Hello, and welcome to the first ever real full episode of the Endocrine Credible podcast. I'm happy to be here. My name is Josiah. I founded the nonprofit Endocrine Credible, whose main focus is spreading awareness on what diabetes is so that we might limit the rampant misinformation associated with the disease. You can find more about all of that at endocrinecredible.org. But today, I'll be talking about how seemingly harmless misconceptions can misconstrue reality in healthcare, relationships, and even identity. Of course, nothing discussed in the Endocrine Credible podcast is intended as medical advice, and you should always consult with your doctor before making changes to your treatment plan. With that being said, let's get started. I want to start this off with an example from my own life. Just recently, my mom was diagnosed with diabetes, and she had to be hospitalized for that. But her experience in the hospital is a perfect example of how misconceptions spread even to the hospital setting, a setting where misconceptions can be especially harmful. Diabetics who are totally insulin-dependent need some form of insulin that will act throughout the entire day to keep their blood sugars at a healthy level, which is known as a long-acting or basal insulin. They'll also need another insulin which they take at meals and when their blood sugar is high, also known as rapid-acting insulin. Or short-acting insulin. I'll talk more about that in another episode, but the reason this is important is because my mom did not receive a long-acting insulin while she was in the hospital. They insisted that she didn't need one, and because of that, she stayed in the hospital a lot longer than she needed to. In the context of misconceptions, there are a couple of popular misconceptions that I believe spread into the environment where it's most important that they don't. The healthcare setting. The first misconception that I believe spreads into this healthcare setting is the misconception that people who are diagnosed with diabetes as an adult are always and undeniably suffering from type 2 diabetes, which generally requires a different treatment plan than other types of diabetes. Secondly, the misconception that type 2 diabetes is always of chronic onset. While this is generally true, and as a good rule of thumb, it isn't always, and this is important to know, especially in the healthcare field. And because it can be urgent, even if my mother was suffering from type 2 diabetes, it doesn't take away from the urgency of diabetic ketoacidosis, a condition of more sudden onset and a condition that my mom was clinically in. If you're not aware, diabetic ketoacidosis is a condition that results from a prolonged period of time without insulin, normally presenting in type 1 diabetics, but it's still dangerous and still potentially fatal, regardless of whether the patient is suffering from type 1, type 2, or some other form of diabetes. So you could imagine my surprise when I learned that my mom, who was suffering from an illness that is caused by a lack of insulin, was not receiving a long-acting insulin while she was in the hospital. This critical mistake in treatment stemmed from those widespread misconceptions that adults only get diabetes from age or obesity, and that this so disease solely presents itself through slow, chronic progression. And all of this despite the fact that MODY, LADA, type 3C diabetes, steroid-induced diabetes, and type 1 diabetes are all types of diabetes that don't have weight as a contributing factor to their progression. Plenty of those diseases likely went over your head, and that's totally fine, but simply put, People who have less common illnesses shouldn't have to suffer misdiagnoses, mistreatment, and stress due to society's misconceptions. I don't say any of this to put down the incredible work doctors and healthcare workers do every day to help our people. I don't. But what I am saying is that societal misconceptions spread into healthcare, even if unintentionally. It's our job as individuals in a society to recognize what our misconceptions are and what impact those misconceptions could potentially have. Another impact that's more subtle, though still very much important, is how misconceptions affect diabetics' day-to-day -day life. Put yourself in this scenario, right? You're living with diabetes, and you're out with friends at a cafe. While enjoying dessert, 
your friends are joking around and your illness comes into the joke. They say one of your friends eats like a pig and they might end up with diabetes after they eat this meal. You might recognize how this could be harmful at this point, but I'll keep going. You express your discomfort with them joking around about uh, your illness and they justify their joke by saying that you, as a diabetic, joke about it all the time. There are a few reasons why this not so unfamiliar scenario could affect someone. Firstly, the joke itself insinuates that the fault of your diabetes is your own. Secondly, the joke is claimed as justified because you have made light of your illness in the past. And lastly, it strips diabetics of their individuality by assuming that all diabetics will be okay with something just because one is. Diabetes is never solely the fault of the person who's living with it. I mean, there are plenty of types of diabetes that progress because of realistically immutable factors. And when lifestyle does play a part, it very well might be the result of biological responses to severe trauma, or simply a predisposition to gaining weight. Ultimately, it isn't fair to belittle the experiences of hundreds of millions of people to simply eating too many sweets. As for the claim that jokes are justified when the sufferer jokes about it themselves, people generally joke about their illness to make it easier on the people around them. They'll use jokes as an icebreaker to show that it's okay to ask questions as long as they aren't intrusive and it's okay to talk about diabetes. It's a sign that we've made peace with it. I'm sure many diabetics can agree with me when I say that opening the topic of diabetes can be awkward and it can discourage people from asking questions, but it's important that they do so. So opening up with a joke can make them know that it's okay to ask questions because we've made our peace with it. But if you aren't diabetic, you haven't made that peace. You don't know what the potential implications of a misinformed joke are. Just like how you should learn about a topic before teaching it, you should learn about what it is you're joking about before you even think about making jokes about it. Because if you don't take that first step of learning before joking, you might be spewing misinformation without even realizing it. Jokes, whether we mean for them to or not, often seep into the minds of people as fact. Now, I still think it's awesome to make jokes about diabetes with friends and family because it can very much bring you closer to them. But I believe you shouldn't do so until you're totally aware of what the illness is and how your jokes can influence people so that these jokes aren't based on potentially harmful misinformation. You might be aware that in old societies and even some societies today, being left-handed was seen as a sign of the devil or of evil. This common belief spreads so far as to alter the actions and language we use, so much that remnants of this change can be seen today. For example, we shake hands with our right hand, not just because most people are right-handed, but more prominently because shaking with the left would be evil. The exact origin of the word left is debated, but in Old English, in addition to the modern sense of the word, also meant weak and worthless. In Latin, the words that referred to left and right evolved in English to become the words sinister and dexter, and I'm sure you can infer which one referred to the left. Left-handed children were forced to use their right hand and sometimes even beaten when they didn't. You might think this has no relation to diabetes, but I'm saying all of this to make the point that meanings evolve and the line between the belief between beliefs and truth blur the longer those beliefs are perpetuated and the longer the truth is misconstrued. Not taking the effort to reflect on the impact your words and actions have can make their impact even more detrimental, especially detrimental for the people who are living with the disease. A misconstrued reality for the treatment of diabetes is most harmful when it spreads to the belief of diabetics themselves. Just a few months ago, a friend of mine was diagnosed with diabetes, but their reality of diabetes was based solely on the misconceptions enforced by society. 
they were diagnosed at an older age, so their endocrinologist was an adult endocrinologist. When I was first diagnosed, I had to see an adult endocrinologist, even though I was only nine, because there were only adult endocrinologists in my area. So in my experience, I've recognized that adults, adult endocrinologists aren't super well-versed on what type 1 diabetes is. They primarily focus on type 2 diabetes because the type 1 diabetics they do see have generally already lived with it for years and know what they're doing. Now, I'm pretty sure there are plenty of adult endocrinologists who are well-versed on type 1 diabetes, and I'm super happy that there are, but in my experience and in the area I'm in, they're pretty hard to find, which is especially harmful for people who are first diagnosed and go to the first endocrinologist they're sent to and who the first endocrinologist they can find. Because these people, these people who are first diagnosed, need accurate information on their disease to healthily live with it especially when their extent of knowledge on diabetes comes from 10-second commercials about dapagliflozin and passing stories from their elders. People need accurate information to healthily live with diabetes, but that information doesn't start first coming to them when they're diagnosed. It comes years before when their aunt says diabetics lose their legs, and it starts when their friends make fat jokes about diabetes. It starts from the widespread misconceptions that spur identity crises. When people are diagnosed with a disease they thought was for fat and old people. When they're diagnosed with a disease whose sufferers apparently don't look like them. This is where it can become potentially dangerous. When diabetes is misconstrued as a disease for obese people, people who are diagnosed with diabetes and who are at a completely healthy weight will focus their efforts on losing weight despite the lack of a need to do so. They'll mistreat their own diabetes and damage their bodies in the process. Of course, this will see no positive results, and this hammers a nail of guilt into them, a nail created by the misconception that diabetics are responsible for their own illness, creating a whole other issue for their mental health. That's why it's so important that people realize diabetes has different faces and voices, and it needs personalized treatments, because generic treatments almost always go wrong. An identity can't be solely defined by diabetes. It doesn't have one face or one voice or one opinion. It doesn't define any other aspect of someone other than their endocrine system. And diabetes is a single paintstroke of color to a complex painting that makes someone up. And even though there are 425 million other paintings with that same color of paint, your painting shares little more than that. It's totally yours, no matter the form it manifests. And just like it would be inaccurate to title the Mona Lisa Blue, it's inaccurate and ridiculous to expect one adjective to describe all that makes someone up. Diabetes if you have it, is one part of the thousands of things that make you uniquely you. Endocrinecredible is currently run primarily by three people. The podcast is just me. Funding is thin as fundraising events are difficult to run safely during the pandemic, so a lot of the funding required to keep the nonprofit afloat is coming from me, which I'm happy to do. But if you have the time and money to help, a donation, which can be made at endocrinecredible.org forward slash donate, is greatly appreciated. Sharing this podcast and getting the word out is also an amazing help to our cause. If you're interested in sharing your experience with diabetes, either as someone living with it or someone who is affected by it, or if you're just looking to get involved in some way, you can send an email to directors at endocrinecredible.org.